Hello and welcome to Fed Talks. I'm your host, EJ Fifth. How's everything going? Good. I paused so I could hear your answer. Um Hey, I'm not going to into this with any real ideas. Uh I guess the first thing I want to say is today, as I'm recording this on Saturday the 18th, it is Batman Day. Uh, I honestly don't know how they landed on the third Saturday of September being Batman Day. Uh, I don't think it's any particularly uh, relevant Batman-related date. Uh, it's not the date his parents were killed, which is June 8th, canonically. Uh, I have a friend whose birthday is that day, so it's very easy to remember. I will not say whether it's easy for me to remember because... Whether the birthday is easy to remember because of, of uh, the Batman date, or if the Batman date is easy to remember because of the birthday, uh, I think you can guess. I just don't want to have to say it. Uh, it is similarly not the birth date of Bruce Wayne per the 1977 DC Comics calendar, which is February 19th. Uh, so I don't know what the date is, but it's Batman Day. Uh, it's one of two DC Comics related <laughs> related holidays that I celebrate. <laughs> I mean, celebrate in the sense that I... I you know, when the day comes, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, it's Batman Day, and then I'll put something on social media. I don't have cake. Uh, although, since it's Saturday and I have free time, I usually do some some Batman rereading, and this year I kicked off my reread of uh, Grant Morrison's Batman run, which is my favorite Batman run, and I find new stuff in it all the time, so I'm very excited. I read the first volume today. Uh It'll take, it'll take a while. I mean, that run is, uh, I believe, 73 issues. I'm not whipping through that in a day or anything. Especially when he did that one issue about the Joker that was all text. Holy smokes, does that take a while to read through. I've lost you all. Uh, the other DC Comics-related holiday that I celebrate is Miracle Monday, which is the third Monday in May, which, per the novel by Elliot S. Magan, is the day that Superman... Uh, fought the devil for the fate of humanity and won. Um, it's actually a very good novel, one of my top ten Superman stories of all time. It was bizarrely published as a tie-in to Superman 2, which is not about that, but to the extent that it's got Christopher Reeve on the cover and in the middle is ten pages of black and white pictures from the filming of Superman 2. So if you were to see it in a store, you would think, Oh, it's the uh, it's the novelization of Superman 2, the movie. And it isn't. Uh, anyway, it's Batman Day. I was going to talk about how much I like Batman, but I think that's well established by this point. I don't know that I have anything to, to add to what I've spent years writing and talking about. Uh, unless we end up running short, because I don't really have any ideas as I start recording, so... Maybe we'll maybe we'll loop back around. Uh, we'll we'll loop back around to my favorite Batman moments, uh, including uh, 
<laughs> included that story where he was buried alive and there was a long explanation of how he got out of the coffin and it involved him using using yoga moves to reverse his position and then he could unscrew the screws at the footplate of the coffin with the the pointies on his gloves and as a child i was obsessed with that and i tried very hard to also be able to reverse position in a coffin uh, and I would do that in bed under the covers, which obviously are as unyielding as a wooden coffin lid under six feet of dirt. But for a while, I was convinced I also would be able to escape being buried alive, provided I had Batman's pointy gloves on me, which realistically I would not. Um, I can't remember if I've talked about this before. It's I'm enough episodes in that I might start repeating myself because... I don't remember things. But when I was a kid, like, you could send your kids information to this service and they would print a book on a dot matrix printer that would have, uh, like, your kids' information sort of plugged into this story and it was all, you know, your adventures with licensed characters. And I remember my sister got uh, maybe strawberry shortcake or whatever was the thing then and I had a Batman story where I teamed up with Batman to fight the penguin and which obviously was terribly negligent on his part because I I could have died uh, I didn't have the circus training of a Robin for example uh, the penguin wouldn't have even needed to shoot me with an umbrella he could have just withheld my ear medicine uh, and also because it it they utilized actual information from your life. I assume there would have been a scene after I died at the hands of the penguin where it would be like, uh, uh, oh no, EJ is dead, said Scott. Now who will feed his dog? Scruffy. Uh, <laughs> I wish I still had that book. It'd be great. We'd do a live reading. No, not live. I'd read it on this. I got. I need ideas. I'll be honest with you. Reading a child, reading a book I was gifted in 1982 seems like a heck of a thing to fill some time. Um. Uh. Uh. uh oh. Hey, as those are talking about me being a nerd, uh, I had an embarrassing moment this week. Uh, I mean, my life is full of embarrassing moments due, due to me being a nerd, but in this particular case. Uh, there are certain like, like nerd things that I get mixed up. There are a couple of things that are too similar. Uh, for example, the Metalocalypse band Death Clock and the Marvel Killer Cyborg Death Lock. Uh, I sometimes get those confused, especially because uh, both of them misspell the second part of their name, but only one of them misspells the death part. And I can't necessarily remember which one it is off the top of my head all the time. And I know I've gotten it wrong before and probably looked like quite the fool. Uh, former X, there's a former X-Men writer named Kieran Gillen and the actress Karen Gillen. And they both spell Gillen differently. And I always get it wrong because she seems like she should be spelling it with an E, but she spells it with an A and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's a Doctor Who villain and a Game of Thrones character with the names Davos and Davros. And 
I at this moment do not remember which is which. Uh, I recapped both shows and I I have to look it up every time, and I will never remember. So I had a I had an exceptionally embarrassing one this week. Uh, I was talking to somebody about the like the new Texas law making it legal to rat out women for practicing uh, uh, for I think even, even considering an abortion or any form of birth control uh, is really horrifying but the the Church of Satan sued the state because they claimed abortions were necessary to perform rituals and the thing is like the Church of Satan isn't real they're like they're like <laughs> really dramatic trolls like this is just them doing a bit and uh it's it's interesting but also like if you're as old as me you remember the 80s when people were genuinely panicked that satanists were going to attack uh uh regular god-fearing people and i think that's maybe what gave the republican party such a stranglehold on our i mean not the only thing but it was certainly contributed to it and I feel like stuff like that, as well-intentioned, in quotes, as it is, uh, is probably a bad idea because there's going to be collateral damage. And I really think it's more about publicity anyway. Uh, you know, it's like people who bring signs to a rally that are too funny. It's like, no, that's, uh, you know, for whose glory do you seek the grail, right? Anyway, I was talking to somebody about that, and I meant to reference Anton LaVey, who is a famous Satanist. The problem is, this is separate from the thing that embarrassed me, I don't know whether he's a current person or a historical person. Like, he may have been, he may be dead for 150 years, or he might, uh, you know, be, like, he might lead the Satanist team on Steve Harvey's family feud. I don't know, so he was a bad idea to bring up anyway. And also, I am a little confused between him and Aleister Crowley as to which is which. Uh, so it's not a reference I should be making while trying to make a point. But I called him Anton Lamont, which was very confusing. And I kept saying, you know, you know, the famous Satanist, Anton Lamont. He had, a, you know, the pointy goatee and his shaved head. And I don't know that these details are true, but it's what I picture. And it took a while before somebody said, oh, you mean Anton LaVey? And I was so sure that was wrong. And I had to, you know, just to get out of that conversation, I had to agree to it. And I eventually had to kind of... And I went, why do I think Anton Lamont? Where does that come from? Anton Lamont is the real name of Miter Hawkman villain, the Fadeaway Man. <laughs> Who is a character nobody has heard of, and his real name is rattling around in my skull, and I replace the name of a famous Satanist with it, possibly regularly. I mean, I don't talk about Anton LaVey that much, but I bet I have made that mistake before. And the only thing more embarrassing than being so wrong about the name and also convinced that I was correct is the actual source of the name, which again is a minor Hawkman villain, considering even the major Hawkman villains are... Honestly, if you're a major Hawkman villain, you get upgraded to being a Batman villain. That's what happened to Gentleman Ghost and Shadow Thief. 
And now that I think about it, all those Hawkman villains I've referenced have gimmicks relating to disappearing or not being seen. Kind of a one-note giant bird guy. Uh, so that's me embarrassing myself. I'm not very smart, as it turns out. Um, hey, since I don't have any ideas at this moment, I have been meaning to do some TV talk. So let's... Uh, Let's dive in. Been watching some shows. Uh, one, and a lot of these are, are things I keep thinking I'm going to write about, but I've been so lazy about that. Um, it's hard to get back in the game, especially when I've committed to not doing recaps anymore because that's exhausting and I need to live, you know. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine just aired its final episode, and that was a show I enjoyed thoroughly for, you know, eight seasons uh and i think this last season was is really worth talking about because they had sort of this impossible thing where they're uh they're a a charming comedy about about cops and since the last season ended it's gotten significantly harder to say funny things about police uh and it seems especially jarring to have an entire group of good-hearted, well-meaning cops as your characters. Uh, and I will also acknowledge that uh, uh, it was maybe similarly difficult, you know, when the show started, but I am a middle-aged white man who lives in... I was going to say the suburbs. I live in a bad part of town. <laughs> let's, let, let's not overlook that. <laughs> I, I I don't live in a great neighborhood. Uh, I don't even know that I count as middle class. I think I'm lower middle class. But uh, you know, being white and employed gets you gets you credit, I guess. So there are things I was perhaps purposefully not aware of, or could dismiss as being aberrations. And the last year has made that impossible. Uh, you know, that that's, we could talk about how ignorant I am all day, but let's not, let's not, uh, uh, spend too much time on that. But the point is, I think more people than me had this awakening over the last year. And you just have to imagine the writers every day were going, oh, God damn it. <laughs> what? What kind of funny cop thing can we do? And I feel like this last season was a really smart uh, uh, approach where they they addressed a lot of that. And they, you know, they had one major character quit because they couldn't reconcile the, the, uh, the, the contradiction, I guess, in how they wanted to live their life and what the overall tenor of police work was and the series ends with two more of the main characters stepping down from the force uh and i think that was interesting and they they addressed a lot of the issues head on and they they sort of introduced a new antagonist uh, john c mcginley from uh scrubs and stand against evil uh which are equally valid references in my mind uh, is sort of the head of the policeman's union, and he's the guy who's 
who's, uh, you know, faking those, uh, the cops went and got a milkshake and there was a toe in it, you know, the things that happened in the real world. So he was just a, sort of an out and out villain. And that, and then the, the sort of lack of actual police work this season, you know, most of the season was focused on uh, uh, Captain Holt's marriage to to friend of the podcast, Mark Evan Jackson. Uh, it is maybe a stretch to call him a friend of the podcast since there is no way he has ever listened to it, but he does follow me on Twitter and has been publicly nice to me. Uh, but having that as sort of the backbone of the season and then uh, having Andy Samberg actually get get suspended for for uh, something that would have just been a, a, a punchline in previous seasons. I think the way they handled it was really smart. And the way they close out the season with no police work whatsoever and just did the annual heist episode. Uh, and in a way where they brought back so much stuff from the past because the part of the premise was both uh, Jake and Holt are stepping down uh, from the force. So it's, I mean, I say a natural endpoint, but obviously somebody, somebody wrote it. So it's the endpoint that's being thrust upon them. But, you know, it, they did it in a way that made it feel natural. You know, series finales can be kind of weird when they uh, invoke the past too much when for, in so many cases, it's just another day. Uh, because their lives continue. But the way they did it was really, really well done and very fun. And ultimately, the final episode was a competition about people competing to see who could be the most considerate friend, which is very much my jam. So, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you went out on a high note. Uh, bless your hearts. You're good people. You'll be back in my viewing rotation at some point. Uh, right now, I am re-watching Superstore again which I find to be an exceedingly enjoyable rewatch. Uh, more so than other other shows like uh, The Office or Parks and Rec. Possibly because I, I watched them in real time and I wrote about them so much. Whereas, uh, you know, so they've there was a lot of rewatching in there already. And this is just kind of the second run through on Superstore for me. And since I binged it, there's a lot of things that didn't stick. And it's just, I watched an episode or two every night before I go to bed. I have not watched the finale yet. I'm going to watch that with my friend who recommended the show in the first place when uh, when she is ready to watch the finale. Uh, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta put put one in the chamber. Like Desmond on uh, uh, Lost didn't read our mutual friend. He he had to leave a Dickens. Uh, I know I've mentioned that, so I'm not going to bring up the other example of that. Uh, anyway, so yeah. I highly recommend rewatching Superstore. Uh, I am also really enjoying uh, the other two on HBO Max, which was on Comedy Central, and then Comedy Central decided there was no reason they should have good programming that people watch, and they should instead line up 14 South Park movies over the next six years, uh, which seems bulletproof. Actually, it probably will be more profitable than making good shows but look they can do what they want I've made my peace with Comedy Central I've left them behind they've cancelled everything I enjoy most of it is easy to get on, on Paramount Plus now 
because Comedy Central committed to having their own app and it being garbage, and it made a lot of their shows hard to find for a long time. But uh, the other two, which is a a show about a Justin Bieber-like kid who suddenly gets viral famous, and then his older siblings who were trying to make it an entertainment uh, kind of coming along for the ride, but also trying to get their own identities. And in the second season, it's their mom is the one who succeeded and got a, a daily talk show, and now they're kind of coasting on her. And it's really, it's really smart and funny and surprisingly dirty. And it's really, it's, there's a lot of emotion to it, which is maybe not the way they would want to people to say it right off the bat, but I think it's a very, it's a very sweet show that is also deeply cynical. Uh, it's very funny. I like it a lot. Good job, guys. You made a good TV show. Uh, season two, it's on HBO Max right now. It's a delight. I'm uh, also enjoying the new season of What We Do in the Shadows, the fake documentary about vampire roommates. Uh, Kristen Schaal from Bob's Burgers and Flight of the Concords is on this season, and she is always a delight. Uh, I don't know what more I can say. Oh, the guy who plays, plays Nandor, and this will not mean anything to you if you don't watch the show, had an episode where he basically had to... There was a bit where all of the other cast members could could uh, morph into him by wearing a special cloak, so he basically had to do impressions of all of the rest of the cast. And they were so good and funny. He had these mannerisms down so well, and his impression of, of Matt Berry, who has a very distinctive voice, which does not sound at all like that. That was a very bad Matt Berry, which just goes to show you how good a job he did of doing a good Matt Berry. Um, it's great. And there's also a a show from the same creators. Uh, most Like uh, Jermaine from Flight of the Concords created both things, and Taika Waititi, I know, did the what we do in the shadows movie he may not be in this have anything to do with this other show but it's also on hbo max it's called wellington paranormal and essentially it's if if flight of the concords x-files and reno 911 were the same show it's it's about a paranormal the paranormal activity branch of the of a small town new zealand police department and it's it's so funny it's it's really wonderful. Uh, and we, because HBO Max is the most insane streaming service, if you want to search it, you have to spell out Wellington before it comes up. You type in W, and it's like, oh, did you want to watch Godzilla vs. Kong? W, oh, must be Mortal Kombat. Uh, you, have to, you have to get a few letters in before it, it actually starts searching rather than just pitching you the most expensive things that they're trying to recoup. Uh, speaking of HBO, the uh, the Sopranos prequel movie is coming out pretty soon, and I'm real excited, but I also have the feeling it's going to be bad because uh, the creator, David Chase, has not done... Since The Sopranos ended in 2006, maybe 2005, he has made one thing. It was a movie called Not Fade Away that he wrote and directed, and it was terrible. 
and nobody saw it and that is the only thing he has written since then so i'm a little worried that maybe he's his day is past uh, i hope it's good i'm gonna see it opening night depending on what uh what covid rates are in michigan i might watch it on hbo max which will make david chase angry but chill out dude people are seeing your thing uh i'm kind of worried it'll be bad but uh so the hbo max facebook page yeah i follow a lot of tv related facebook pages and i rarely go on facebook but they tweeted a like just to promote the sopranos in general they tweeted a picture of of uh, Adriana in a blue bikini. And I don't remember what their caption was. It was dumb. But it was just uh, reminding you The Sopranos exists. The official Sopranos account reposts that with their own comment. And their own com and the comment they add is, who says you can't wear white after Labor Day? Which is not only just nothing as a joke, but she is wearing blue. My, my guy what what is happening on your social media how did that get to be an acceptable thing there is worse picture and she is is manifestly not wearing white i like i'm just stupefied by it like somebody had to go had to have looked at that and said hey that doesn't make sense can we change that uh or else the social media account of a television show that ended 15 years ago does maybe not have the oversight that 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 i assume it does that's possible too but it, it was very funny uh uh i guess the other big tv thing is uh coming back this week also on hbo max i'm talking a lot about hbo max is the doom patrol who are uh i know i've talked about the doom patrol on this show before and odds are nobody listened to it but also nobody will listen to this one so uh, I'm not going to repeat all that, but they're, they're, they're these very janky superheroes that have, and that I love. Outside of Batman, they are maybe my favorite DC characters. I love the Doom Patrol. And the first two seasons of the show were terrific, but also weird. It's such a specific tone. And also, it's a little bit cheap. Uh like, it doesn't look great, which is very fitting for the Doom Patrol, but I can see how maybe people wouldn't be able to get past it. Uh, I recommended it to my cool friend the other day. And my cool friend really likes the Marvel stuff, but has been irritated by every DC thing. Which, as much of a DC boy as I am, if all you're going by is the movies and TV shows, yeah, you're right to be irritated. There's, there's very little to keep you coming back. There's Wonder Woman and two-thirds of Shazam, and that's about it. Uh, but I, I recommended it with such trepidation because it's such, like, it's so, it's so specific, and I don't know, like, my friend Sam likes it, and he has no attachment to the characters, so I know it's not just me having rose-colored glasses of my love for the Doom Patrol. But... It was, I was, like, legitimately nervous to recommend it, like... Not in the sense like, oh, you don't like it, you won't like me anymore, but more like, uh, there's a chance you won't like it. You'll say mean things about the Doom Patrol, and they are my best friends. Uh, Cliff and Larry and Rita and Jane, 
uh, not the chief so much because he's always manipulating people, but you know, so it was, it was a real, uh, it was a real leap of faith to recommend that to my cool friend. Uh, also, yeah, I have a cool friend deal with it, but I'm very excited. Uh, the trailers for the season has a lot of, it brings, brings in a lot of the, of villains from the, from the original incarnation of the show, from the early, or of the comic, from the early 60s, including a brain in a jar and a French revolutionary gorilla uh, who are in love. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've touched on the, you know, that early stuff on and off, but these are kind of the most explicit supervillains in, because it's, a lot of times the Doom Patrol is more uh, uh, not concerned with villains so much as existential threats and, in the case of the TV show, regular old depression. So it'll be kind of fun to see actual, like, dumb supervillains on this show. Uh, man, I love the Doom Patrol. It's really good. It's The last season got cut short because of COVID, so they couldn't wrap it up. So the season ended on the second to last episode, which had all of the team dead or all of the team turned to wax, except for Cliff, the robot, uh, more properly known as Robot Man. But they don't call him that on the show because it sounds bad, uh, who had been smashed to pieces and then turned to wax. So I am psyched about Doom Patrol coming back. Um, and now Ultra City Smiths, the... Uh, stop-motion musical comedy noir with a cast of baby dolls is on regular AMC. So if you don't pay for an expensive streaming service and would like to watch it, oh, I cannot recommend it enough. I'm watching it again. It's probably my show of the year. I'm saying this in September. For context, my number two show of the year is uh, probably Hacks or maybe Ted Lasso. And then after that is just watching Superstore again, even though it did not air any new episodes this year and ended last year. Uh, it's my list. I'll do what I want. Like Stephen King, when he used to have a column in Entertainment Weekly, and it'd be like, the best books of the year, always with the caveat that they didn't necessarily come out this year, but this is the year he read them, which is the dumbest thing. Like, oh, finally got around to Ivanhoe this year, huh, Steve? Cool. I guess that's one of the best of 2004. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Hey, miraculously, I filled up a half hour by just talking about TV, which, as people who have met me know, is kind of uh, how I fill most half hours. Um, hey, real quick, remember our sponsor, teasebysummer.com, the best T-shirt you're going to find. Uh, I had this really nice experience uh, last weekend. Uh, I have friends I watch TV with on Sundays. I went over there and Brad and one of the Beckys, not the one who's married to Brad, the other Becky, were both wearing Tees by Summer shirts. It was so exciting. It made me very happy. They didn't, they didn't work that out ahead of time. It just happened. It was awesome. Um, I know there's new stuff coming. It's man, it's so good. I've been I've been wearing my shirts when I when I go out or when I go on walks. 
Uh, once it starts getting colder, I'm going to switch over to the long sleeve shirts from the old site, uh, which maybe I can link to in the in the notes at some point because it's it still exists. It is less profitable than the Tees by Summer site, but you know if you want long sleeve shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, go nuts. They're great. Ah, uh, it's just so good. And also, uh, uh, she has made the art for all of my projects, including this show. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. Uh, that is one thing that is just completely beyond my skill set. And uh, between this and and uh, the Ape Hive and the upcoming scripted podcast, which I don't think I've said the name of on here. It's just so, it's so good. So buy something else. Thanks for that. Cause I, I keep offering to pay for this art because it's so good. I should not have it for free. Uh, yeah. Teasebysummer.com. Just, just tremendous. So good. Uh, uh, so also after you have bought a t-shirt or a mug, I stress again after you have to do that uh, now that I'm on iTunes you can rate and review me and obviously if you're going to rate if you're going to do that give me a, a good review so I kind of move up in the algorithm uh, if you have mean things to say to me do what everybody does and just DM me about how you don't think I'm good uh, so do that uh, I would appreciate it if you do that you can email the show at fedtalks at yahoo.com. I don't think I've checked that email for three weeks, so hopefully there's nothing important in there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at EJ Fettis or uh, uh, Instagram at EJ underscore Fettis. I am not terribly active on either site, but sometimes I have something funny. Uh, and I guess, man, there is something I wanted to say, and I can't remember what it is. I'll remember it as soon as I stop recording, but I'm not going back. This is this is how it ends. Uh, so thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'll be back probably next week. Uh, I don't like to overcommit, but uh, hopefully I'll have I'll I'll go into it with ideas of things to say rather than just rattle off TV shows I've been watching. So that's it. Uh, be nice to each other. Come back. Buy a t-shirt from Tees by Summer. Uh, check out the Ape Hive. I am going to post something new this week. I know I've been very bad about that. In fairness to me, I have a lot going on. Uh, some of which I do not wish to discuss into a microphone. But considering a major life change. Um, so we'll see. Look, I'm trying my hardest. And I know I did the, the, the change tone by starting with look but I've only done it once and I think I've limited myself to once per episode and sometimes less so I'm, I'm working through this verbal tick of mine and we'll get through it together right you guys are great I'll see you later bye Fed Talks is a full boys production wah, 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 wah.